It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you. And it's good to open up the scriptures with you this morning. Um, I've been thinking about the fact that sometimes you don't real, really realize what you've gone through. I mean, the full real experience of it until you're done and you reflect back on it. And so many of you know that Holly and I went away for a while this summer. We were on sabbatical and we had this really great plan of visiting 11 different destinations in the UK and Ireland in the first part of our sabbatical. And it was a blast. The first week and a half was wonderful except for the fact that I was struggling with some physical issues. And I knew that I had something wrong before I left. But it wasn't about a week until about a week and a half into it that the real pain of the first kidney stone hit. Yes, worst pain of my life. Can I get an amen? Somebody, come on. Holy moly. We're on this British highway and we're driving from the Cotswolds in England up to northern Wales. And... About partway through the drive, I just, I couldn't drive anymore. I couldn't sit up anymore. I had to pull over and lean the seat all the way back. And for about 45 minutes, I was just writhing in pain. As my wife, Holly, is looking at me going, what's wrong with you? On the phone with a service in New York that was supposed to tell us where to get medical care. Well, I'm sort of like a cheap guy. Well, I'm not really cheap. I try to be frugal. And so I rented the cheapest car possible, which is a stick shift. It's on the other side. It's really fun. Holly doesn't know how to drive one of those. And so I'm thinking, how are we going to get out of here? I cannot move. This is horrible. And so 45 minutes later, fortunately, the moment passed. And so did something else, which I'm very glad about. And I felt better for a while. The second kidney stone, yes, there were two of them, came in Dingle, Ireland. Dingle, Ireland is a peninsula. It's on the very west. Yeah, it's kind of funny, actually. None of the other services got that, but there you are. You're here for me. We're tracking. All right. Dingle, Ireland. Children, it's very funny. Anyway, so... I'm out there, and it's a beautiful area, right? I mean, it's sunny, and it's not normally sunny there, and it's just green, and everybody's nice, and we're driving around, having a great time. And we wandered into the village where there's this music shop. And we go in, and they're going to have a traditional Irish concert that night. And that's one of the things that we really wanted to do. Holly loves music, and, and so do I. And we wanted to hear some great Irish music. And so we get in there. We're in the very front row in this little music shop, and they're playing the music. And halfway through the concert, it hit me again. And I just, I was like, this is, this is bad. This is not good. And I'm kind of squirming around. And Holly looks over at me, and she goes, you, you just need to go. Just get out of here. And so I left. She didn't come with me. She's like, no, I'm staying in here. You just go. (laughs) And so I didn't want to walk all the way back to the room. And I thought, okay, maybe this will pass really fast. And so I went out onto the boat docks where all the tourists are. And I couldn't really stand. I couldn't really, you know, sit down very good. So I just laid on the ground right on the boat docks. (laughs) Couples are holding hands saying, stay away from that drunk man, honey. Okay, this will be okay. And I'm kind of squirming around. And finally I go, this is just dumb. I just need to get back to my room. So I get back to my room. And I fall on the bed, and finally, about two hours later, um, it it was all over. And I I got a good night's sleep, and I woke up the next morning, and I was a new man. I mean, I have to tell you, when you have a physical problem, and you just get used to it, and then after that, you feel better, you realized how horrible you felt. 
I mean, I felt really good, and we went off to Scotland that day, and we, we traveled through Scotland. We went from Stirling up through some of the locks over to Inverary, where we went to this really beautiful castle in Inverary. It's like, you know, a Disneyland castle, and, and we toured through. We, we went into the gift shop. There was a bunch of commotion in the gift shop. Everybody's getting all excited, and I walked in there, and there's this kind of, you know, not really super dressed really well, just normal, you know, middle-aged couple standing there. And I look at them and I go, hey, you're the ones in all the pictures around the castle. You live here, don't you? And it was the Duke and Duchess of Argyle. And then, hey, you work in the, the gift shop today, huh? You got a good gig going on here. And they said, yeah, well, nobody knows how to work the the visa machine, so we're doing that. So we got a little picture with them, and we went off from Inverary, and we drove through more of the highlands, and it was just gorgeous. And we got to this one part right in the middle of Loch Ness, and there's castle ruins there, the Castle Urquhart, and I'm standing in this one part of the castle, and I'm looking over this wall into the deepest part of Loch Ness. And, and it, was, it was amazing. The sun was setting. The air was still. It's green everywhere. There's these yellow flowers that are in bloom. And in that moment, it dawned on me, I'm at rest. It dawned on me, but I don't think I really figured it out until I got home. And I started to journal about my experiences and started to reflect back, even this week, just writing about it. And as I wrote about it, I realized I know that moment because I've had that moment before. I've had that moment when I've been on a long bike ride down the American River Trail or early in the morning when I'm having a cup of coffee on the couch or playing a board game with my kids or on a walk with Holly. I've had that same moment on a basketball court in the slums of Manila in a classroom filled with kids in Zimbabwe in the mountains of Ethiopia on a farm. I recognized that moment, and I started to reflect on that classic passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says to the crowds, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's one of the all-time classics But I fear in our culture, the culture that we live in every day that's filled with a drivenness and a drivenness to succeed, that it's often one of the most ignored. Two of the words I hear the most today in our culture are the words, I'm busy and I'm tired. I mean, sometimes we even wear those words sort of like a badge of honor, like I'm really busy. And I am guilty of that as well. And I'm just, I'm just so tired this week. Jesus says to come to him and we will experience rest. But what does it mean? What, what does that mean that God gives us rest? If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open to Genesis chapter 1. It's at the very beginning of the Bible. The very first verse, Genesis 1.1. Because I think it's helpful sometimes when we look at passages in the Scripture to go back to the very beginning of the story. You know, great storytellers, great movie makers, they have a, a way of capturing the audience or the reader right from the beginning. I mean, they draw us in. They compel us to keep going on in the story. In the beginning, sometimes we find incredible clues of the identity of the characters and the plot and what's happening. 
And it's the beginning of the story that helps the ending of the story make more sense. And so at the very beginning of our story, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I know that most of you know that this part of the Bible wasn't written in English. I mean, the nerve of those ancient people not writing in English. I mean, we were going to read this someday, right? But it's written in ancient Hebrew. And, and so the ancient Hebrew word for God looks like this. And it goes from right to left. And in English, it looks like this. And then this is how we say it. We say Elohim. And Elohim is the plural form for the ancient Hebrew word for God. And so Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now this word created is interesting. It's the word bara. Can you guys say bara? That was lame. I just have to say it really. Bara is an explosive word. It means to create out of nothing. It's powerful. And so say bara like it's powerful. Ready? Bara. That's better. All right. God barad the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on and it says, Now the earth was formless and void. These are fun Hebrew words. Tuhu and boohoo. They're just fun to say. It's kind of like, um, you know, when you're walking down your kid's room and you open the door and you find this empty wasteland of a room that hasn't been cleaned in two months because tuhu and boohoo literally mean empty wasteland. And so the earth was an empty wasteland, and it says that darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Waters in ancient Near Eastern literature almost always meant chaos, and so there's this place of chaos, and it's dark, and it's an empty wasteland. But there's a spirit there, and so God has some sort of spirit involved from the very beginning. And then he says something. God says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so God speaks, and some sort of word creates things. And so in verse 1, God is creator. In verse 2, he's some sort of spirit. In verse 3, he's some sort of word. And from the beginning, we see that there is relationalness in this thing that we call God. There's a community in this person that we call God. Theologians call this the Trinity from the very beginning. And it, and it makes sense, sort of, if you read uh, uh, John chapter 1 and John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the end of Matthew's gospel, the end of 2 Corinthians, you start to find clues of this all over the scriptures about this community from the beginning. And as we follow the poem of Genesis, we find a rhythm. There was morning, there was evening. And this rhythm leads to a state of goodness. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then finally, after the sixth day, he says, it is very good. And so what was once a dark, empty, chaotic wasteland is transformed by this community we know as God. And now it is filled with light, with life, and with goodness. What a fascinating way to start a very long story. And then it says that God rested. And if you're like me, you probably are puzzled over that. What what does it mean that God rested? Did he take a nap? Is he an absentee landlord? Did he check out? Did he put up his feet? What does it mean that he rested? Well, in the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we also learn why Christians believe 
that humans were created in the image of God. Now, theologically, this assumes a lot. It assumes tremendous value and tremendous purpose. And so everybody that you see is priceless and has meaning, even the person that you see in the mirror. Practically speaking, to be created in the image of God means to be drawn together into a community to show the world what God is like. In other words, it's like a mirror. We're to reflect him into the culture and the cultures that we live in. But we realize that it it wasn't all hunky-dory after a while, right? I mean, things weren't bad pretty quick. I mean, things got ugly. But for a little while, I mean, nobody knows exactly how long, things were pretty good. And there was this unbroken relationship between humanity and God. And somehow, it was at that time that God rested. And since God doesn't get tired, maybe the rest of God is deeper than just physical rest. And since God doesn't struggle with anxiety, he's not puzzled, he doesn't worry, maybe it's something more than just a mental thing or an emotional thing. Maybe it's something that when we experience it, it's more than that, but it affects all of that. And so if it's true, if it's true that at one point all was good, it was very good, and it's at that point that humanity had an unbroken relationship with God, then they were reflecting God out into the world perfectly, and it's then that God rested, maybe the rest of God has something to do with redeeming what was true at that time in our time. I mean, we don't go backwards in the story, right? The story must move forward. We don't go backwards to the garden. In fact, we're headed towards, the scriptures say, a city. But maybe there's something about Jesus when he says, come to me and receive rest. Maybe there's something about in Jesus that he is able for us to redeem what was true then in our lives now. Maybe it's not just about a day that the ancient people called a Sabbath day and didn't do any work. Maybe it's actually deeper than that. Maybe it has to do with an orientation or a disposition of the heart that leads us to be agents of goodness wherever we're at. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says that he will give us rest, and I believe he is offering us a new and renewed heart. And the rest that he invites us into, the rest of God, is something that redeems our identity and our calling as humans. And it takes the burden and the weariness of trying to do life in any other way, trying to be human in another way. And it brings us back to where he's at and gives us meaning and purpose in life. That's why he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. This is so much deeper than a day off or a vacation or even a sabbatical. It is a way of life. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, you guys know what a yoke is, right? I mean, a yoke's a farming tool. I mean, it's something that's used to keep two animals, usually oxen, together. 
And you put it on them, and it keeps them together, and the farmer can lead them down the path in the field straight where he wants them to go. And so when Jesus invites us into relationship with him, his invitation in Matthew chapter 11 is to come alongside him, to be yoked to him so that we can follow down that path, that course, that life that he's marked out for us. And when he invites us, he doesn't scold us. He doesn't make us feel guilty. He doesn't hit us over the head. He doesn't act judgmental towards us. It says that he is humble and meek. This is our Lord speaking to us. This is why at Lakeside, in our values, in our playbook, we say we love meekness. This is what he's done for us, and he asks us to do the same thing for others. And it's not that the path is easy, because the path is brutal. Jesus beckons us to come and to die. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Life is brutal and discipleship is difficult. It's not that the path is easy. It's that the yoke fits. In other words, this is what we were meant for. We were meant to be side by side with the Savior, walking down these paths that he has set out for us. And when we do, like the community Elohim, spirit, and word. We are able to bring light, life, and goodness into the empty chaos of our world. I believe that this is the rest of God. It's a new heart that leads us to a new life. It's a renewed heart that gets us back on track. And it's life the way it was meant to be. And it's in Jesus that the strange beginning of our story begins to make sense. So what would this look like? What would this look like in your life? Many of you know the name Jamie Wright, right? She she writes a blog, and maybe you read her blog with thousands of others. She's married to Steve Wright, our director of outreach and extension. Well, Steve and Jamie, along with Brad and Dan Ripple, had the opportunity to go to Cambodia last month. And they were there to kind of check out an organization to see if we want to continue to partner with this organization and really dig in deep with them. And this organization is involved in justice and mercy in the area of human trafficking and sex slavery. If you read her blog, which I encourage you to do, you might get angry. You might get sad. You might be in tears. Your jaw will drop. It was an eye-opening trip. It was powerful. It was transformational. And they're still processing it as I've, as I've talked to them. And you're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come. Well, after Cambodia, Brad and Dan came home, and Jamie and Steve went on to Thailand where they were checking out another organization that is involved in justice issues in the same area. And again, it was an amazing experience for them. And Steve and Jamie are responding in practical ways and inviting others to do so in ways that they feel led by God to respond. But if you read Jamie's blog, her latest blog, at the very end, she asks what I, what I think is the key question in all of this. She asked the question, what if? What if? Two words that are pregnant with possibility. Two words that are filled with tremendous hope. Listen to what she says. She says, what if a little band of merry men gathered their resources to empower the rescue of trafficked and enslaved women and children? 
What if we supported and encouraged the men and women on the ground in just one city in Southeast Asia? What would happen if they had everything that they needed to investigate and prosecute those who prey on the weak? She says word would get out if more bad guys went to jail and traffickers disappeared and brothel doors closed. What would happen if we came together from all over the world to shine a bright and focused light in the dark? Perhaps it would create a ripple of hope where once there was none. As rumors of escape spread and one child turns to comfort another, whispering with assurance, rescue is coming. Rescue is coming. This is the rest of God, to be yoked to a Savior that leads us down paths of rescue. This church is our destiny. This is what we were made for. Our identity is in his image, and we shine it into the world. And when we do, in the worst of chaotic places, the darkest places, God will shine a light, and he creates goodness. So where are the dark, empty wastelands in your world, in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace? Where, where are those places in your heart that need to be transformed into light and goodness? You see, because 2,000 years later, the invitation still stands, right? Jesus is still saying to you and to me, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am humble and gentle in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when we respond to him and we come to him and we begin to be changed, he looks at us And just like in the very beginning, he says, it is very good. It is very good. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we just paused this morning and... God, I... I don't know the stories all over the room. I know that my own heart needs you every day. I know how often I get off track, and I know that you pursue me always. And God, I I, I just pray that this morning we would respond to you. I pray that we would hear that invitation and that we would receive that invitation and we would say yes. And maybe it's, it's for the first time. Maybe things are lining up and they're starting to make sense. And, and we take that step of faith because it's always by faith. And we trust in you. We trust in the work that you've done for us on the cross, that we are forgiven, and that there is new life in Jesus because you reign, you rule, you are alive, you've risen from the dead. And we need that new life here today. And I pray that we would take a step in that direction. Maybe it's just we've been off course just a couple degrees, but it's been a long time, and so we've veered away from you. 
And I pray that we would return this morning, right here in this room, that we would respond. God thinks that your love for us is incredible and it's unconditional, and in you there is strength. There is strength for the weary, and so we lay down our burdens at the foot of the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.